Thanks for checking out the Awaken Church podcast. Awaken Church messages are brought to you by our generous givers and partners. You can learn more about the vision or give financially to support the work God is doing here at Awaken by visiting our website, awakenchurch.cc. If you can't make one of our weekly worship services, you can always watch online by going to our website and clicking on the watch tab. And now, wherever you're joining us from, thanks for listening, and we hope this message encourages you. So what I want to do today is, is take a few moments to, to really uh, explain why Jesus had to come. Why did he have to come? I, th- I think if, if we all just visually kind of went in our imaginations to the manger scene that we're used to, uh, the nativity scene maybe that you're used to, you know all the characters that are in play, right? Like we know Mary, the mother of Jesus, Joseph, his dad, uh, maybe the angel that's perched on top of the A-frame nativity scene that you have, the animals laying around. Everyone has the, the, the visual. You've seen the nativity scene. Uh, maybe you've been to one live. You've gone to a, like a drive through nativity scene. Anybody done that? You've seen live nativity. It's kind of weird. It can throw you off. You've got humans that are donkeys. It's like, what's going on? All right, it, it can mess things up a little bit. But I, I want you to take that picture, the visual picture that you have, and the backdrop of that image I want you to think about this. Why that way? Like if you were God, you probably would have done things differently, right? The same same God that that spoke everything into existence that we read about back in Genesis, the same God that that sent the floods and uh, told Noah to build the ark, the the same God that split the Red Sea, the same God that performed all the miracles in Scripture. Why in the world... Did Jesus have to come? We know the story, but why did it have to happen that way? Why did it have to happen that way? This is what John tells us, the the gospel of John. John was Jesus' best friend. He was one of the disciples. Um, He was the one that Jesus said, look after my mom once I'm gone. He was probably Jesus' most trusted friend. John wrote about it this way in John chapter 1. This is what he tells us about the why behind Jesus coming. John chapter 1, verse 1. We're told that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let me explain that real quick. We believe within Christianity, we believe in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Son is Jesus. John tells us that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The Word is Jesus. He was in the beginning, verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. Now all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. For in him was life. And the life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became, it is, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and full of truth. John says, We have seen his glory. The glory of God is the Son, the Word, the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the baby in the manger. That's Jesus. Now, we have to to step back and go, why did it have to happen that way? Why would God send his Son? Couldn't he have done this another way? And the truth is that he can. I, I was thinking about this in light of a book that I read when I first became a Christian. I've been following Jesus now for about 20 years. Uh, I came to faith when I was in college. Uh, there was a time in my life where I went to church at Christmas, and um, it just didn't have the same impact. 
In fact, I remember going to church one time at Christmas. It was actually a Catholic church. And um, I attended a service. It was mass. And I didn't know any of the prayers. If any of you guys have ever been to a Catholic church, you may be able to identify. But I remember sitting there and thinking, I am so out of place. It's not even funny. And being fearful to some degree of like everything that was going on and just feeling like I don't belong here. I don't, I don't belong here. And, and when I think about Christmas, I'm fully, uh, I fully acknowledge the fact that maybe some of you are here today and, and you go, I don't, I don't really belong in church. I don't know if this is the place for me. I'm here out of obligation or because I've been invited. I don't feel worthy enough to be sitting in the, the presence of God or much less his house. I, I understand what those feelings are like. But there's a book that I read back when I first started following Jesus. And the name of the book is The Jesus I Never Knew. Now, obviously, you're like, what about the book? These are goldfish, right? This is the book. By the way, if, if you would say, um, hey, Pastor Brandon, outside of the Bible, is there another book that I should read? I would highly recommend this book. It's by a guy named Philip Yancey. Um, and Philip Yancey, um, he wrote this back in the 90s. But the premise of the book is he grew up as a, as a, as a part of the church, um, raised in the Christian faith. His dad died at a young age, and he strayed away from Christianity. He strayed away from the faith. And it wasn't until later on in, in, in college when he came back around and started following Jesus. He's an incredible author, sold millions of books. And in this particular book, he talks about the incarnation of Jesus, right? The, the God became flesh, Jesus became a baby. The, the doctrine of incarnation is that God became a man, that what was spiritual, being God, became physical, which was man. And this is what he writes about it. And, and the reason I brought the fish is because I want you to listen to this in light of these fish that are like running. See how they just like run away from me? Uh, I want you to listen to this in light of what Philip Yancey had to write. He said, I learned about incarnation when I kept the saltwater aquarium. Management of a marine aquarium, I discovered, is no easy task. I had to run a portable chemical laboratory to monitor the nitrate levels and the ammonia content. I pumped in vitamins and antibiotics and sulfa drugs and enough enzymes to make a rock grow. I filtered the water through glass fibers and charcoal and exposed it to ultraviolet light. You would think, in view of all the energy expended on their behalf, that my fish would at least be grateful. Not so. In fact, every time my shadow loomed above the tank, they dove for cover into the nearest shell. They showed me only one emotion, fear. Although I opened the lid and dropped in food on a regular schedule, three times a day, in fact, they responded to each visit as a sure sign of my designs to torture them. I could not convince them of my true concern. To my fish, I was deity. I was like a god. I was too large for them, my actions too incomprehensible. My acts of mercy, they saw as cruelty, and my attempts at healing, they viewed as destruction. See, to change their perceptions, I began to see it would require a form of incarnation. I would have to become a fish and speak to them in a language they could understand. And it's great insight, great, great insight. Now, you may go, well, what does that mean for me, right? What does that mean for me? And I, I think the fish help because it, you probably don't see yourself as a fish. I most definitely don't. But I, I want to describe 
what, what was taking place when Jesus was born. The why behind his birth. Because we, we have to understand culturally what was taking place with the people of God. See, when, when Philip Yancey says, these fish are so afraid of me, they run every time I come around. Ultimately, what was taking place when Jesus was born was the people of God were afraid of God. And it was an unhealthy fear. In fact, the Old Testament, we've all heard the Ten Commandments, right? Don't lie, don't steal, uh, don't commit adultery, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Right? These, these Ten Commandments, that's a good baseline start. But the truth is there were hundreds of commandments, hundreds of laws that the people had to keep. And so you imagine they walked around all the time feeling like, man, I... I, I might have broken, you know, law number 61 or law number 13 or I don't quite add up or I'm not good enough. And they just walked around this in fear of God. And to make things worse, there were these leaders in the church called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, their job was to enforce the law. And so you just imagine living your life culturally in a place where you knew about this God, but you didn't personally know this God. But all you were ever told is you got to clean your life up if you ever expect to even get close to this God. And no one could own up. And so there were a lot of people in the culture that were like, look, if, if, I, if I can't ever own up, then I just don't want anything to do with them. And there was this shame and this running from, and I'll just avoid God altogether. Truth is, that's what religion does. And, and culturally, maybe some of you grew up in a place where you viewed God that way. Like this far off being that just looking down at you and you don't quite add up. And so you go, you know what? I'll never quite be enough, so I'll just avoid it altogether. Or you've embraced this belief system where you walk around with shame and guilt all the time because of mistakes or a lifestyle that you think maybe he doesn't approve of. See, the truth is that that kind of fear, that unhealthy fear, it's this fear like no matter how much I go over, you see him scatter? No matter how hard I try, there's no way to communicate and have them understand, if I'm God, that I actually love them and want a relationship with them. So what does God do? God decides, um, I'm going to turn to my son, Jesus, and send Jesus to the earth. And so the most spiritual being that exists, being God, says, I'm going to take on physical. And there's this intersection of spiritual and physical, and we see it in the person of Jesus. In fact, I would submit to you that maybe the most spiritual thing that God ever did was become a physical being, that he took on humanity. Can you imagine for a moment? You got Jesus on his throne, the Lord of Lords. He's been there since the beginning of time. And he subjects himself to becoming a cell inside of Mary's body, a cell that would multiply and reproduce and grow and become this child inside this teenage girl and then eventually be delivered right? In the side of a mountain, in this manger. Now listen, I, I know we like to see it all cleaned up with, you know, swaddling claws, lying in a manger, oh, silent night, holy night. Y'all, if you've ever been at a childbirth, it's not clean. I've been there for four of them. I can still see it and hear it. And some of y'all are like, yeah, what about Ashley? She had an epidural, by the way. Um, but I, <laughs> that mean it was easy. But I, what, I'm, what I'm saying is, here's, here's the Lord of Lords, here's Jesus going, I will submit myself to humanity and all that that encompasses. Imagine him as a child having to breastfeed. Imagine Jesus as a child needing his diapers to be changed, crawling around on the dirt, can't even walk. 
If you're anything like me, there's, there's times we, we look at Jesus and go, man, he was just born perfect and he walked around and everything was great. And the truth is he was 100% dependent on people. See, the truth is, when I think about the incarnation and, and God being born as a baby, the ultimate message is the same message that, that Yancey says in his book. He had to find a way to identify with us and communicate with us. He had to find a way to, to, to get down on our level so that we could somehow understand him because there was this vast separation between who God was and his heart for us versus how people actually viewed him. And when we look at Jesus' ministry, when he grows up, his entire ministry was this intersection between being something very spiritual but encountering the physical. I, I think about Matthew chapter 5 and the Sermon on the Mount. It's the first sermon that Jesus preached. Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee. He calls his disciples up on top of the mountain. There's this huge crowd. and Jesus goes, let's get away. And he goes to the top of the mountain. And he starts talking to his disciples. Now you would think if this is God, which it was, and Jesus identified himself as God, you would think that, that he would walk up on this mountain, look at a group of people, and start telling them everything they did wrong. Because see, that's what the law communicated. That's what they had grown up in. But instead, Jesus gets to the top of this mountain, and he doesn't start condemning people. What he does is he looks at them with compassion and calls them to a different way of living. He says, I'm inviting you to be a part of something different called the kingdom of God. He doesn't criticize, and he doesn't condemn. Completely busted up their view of God. He was full of love and he was full of grace, full of compassion. By the time he finishes his sermon, we're told in Matthew chapter 8 that a multitude of people follow him off the mountain. So it tells me that when you, when you do have a ministry and you do teach with love and compassion and grace, it tends to be more attractive than law and condemnation. That's the beauty of Jesus over religion. Jesus says, I want to give you a relationship. I'm just not here for rules and religion. So Jesus he calls these people to himself. I think about uh, Mark chapter 2 when he's walking along the Sea of Galilee. And he sees all these fishermen out there. Which, by the way, if you were a fisherman in Jesus' day, what that means is you weren't good enough spiritually uh, to be a, a rabbi or to be a disciple of a rabbi. You weren't the most spiritual person if you were a fisherman. Which, by the way, you think about cussing like a sailor. I'm not trying to offend Navy guys in here. But the same reputation's kind of stuck. Jesus walks along the Sea of Galilee and he sees these boats. These men who were really on the outskirts, never came to the temple, they were deemed unclean. And what does Jesus do? Those are the first people he calls to follow him. And he doesn't just stand at a distance and say, hey, drop your nets and come follow me. We find in Mark 2, he actually gets in the boat. He walks up to Peter and says, can I borrow your boat? He steps into a place that by society was deemed unclean and unreligious, Jesus has left the church and is now in, in their world. And he pushes the boat off from the shore and he begins to teach about the kingdom of God. Peter becomes one of his first disciples, and John, and James, all fishermen. Then he calls Matthew a tax collector. Matthew was a, an outcast. Matthew was seen as a thief of his own people. And Jesus says, I want you to come be a part of my family. I want you to be my friend. I want a relationship with you. We see this relentless pursuit by Jesus, who was spiritual, pursuing that which was not necessarily spiritual, but physical. This intersection, that's where miracles happen. John chapter 4, we see Jesus walking uh, from one city to another, and he counters this woman at a well. This woman was Samaritan. Jesus was a Jew. They begin having a conversation, and the Samaritan woman says, hey, we shouldn't be having a conversation time out. 
we come from two different racial backgrounds. This conversation is not even allowed. She addresses a physical problem. Jesus says, look, I'm the Messiah. I'm spiritual. So I, I'm, over, I'm over your physical problem. Because when what's spiritual hits what's physical, that's where miracles happen. The answer, the answer for the racial tensions of that day was reconciliation and relationship with Jesus. The answer is still the same today. We would do well to acknowledge it. It's not about uh, having different legislation necessarily or different policies necessarily. The answer to physical problems isn't necessarily a physical response. It's a spiritual response, right? And, and so all through Jesus' ministry, this is what we see. Think about the blind man Bartimaeus. He was born blind from birth. Pharisees come to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, is this man blind because of his own sins or the sins of his parents? Jesus says, y'all are missing the point altogether. This man's blind so that I can get glory from this situation. And what's spiritual in Jesus encounters a physical issue and the man is healed and can see. Think about the woman who was drugged in front of Jesus, drugged naked in front of Jesus, caught in the act of adultery. Now, by law, physical, by law, she deserved to die. Jesus looks at this woman, stands her up, and says, uh, if you're without sin, cast the first stone. And everybody walks away. And then he looks this woman in the eyes, giving her dignity, and says, is there no one to condemn you? Neither do I. Now go and sin no more. Can I submit to you forgiveness is the ultimate miracle? But it only happens when we take our physical sin, the things that we've done, and we put it underneath the spiritual, which is Jesus. It's forgiveness. It's a miracle. All through the gospel, that's what we see. We see Jesus in his deity, clothed in humanity, encountering physical problems and meeting the needs that exist. We see him sitting at dinner at one occasion, and there's a prostitute that comes in. This woman of the streets, the gospel writes. And she brings this perfume and she washes Jesus' feet with her hair and with the perfume and she immediately starts to get criticized and even Jesus gets criticized for allowing it to happen. But Jesus says, no, no, this is this woman's act of worship. Leave her alone, let her do what she needs to do. And she became a follower of Jesus, right? You go, man, this is so counter to everything they knew about God. See, I I look at Christmas this way. When I see Jesus in the manger, And I think about the fact that God took on skin and came to earth. Sometimes we can slip into this view of God that he is distant and he's far off and he's keeping a naughty and nice checklist about our lives. And when we're doing good, we go, I'll engage, I'll go to church, maybe I'll pray, might even read a little bit of the Bible. When we're doing bad, we tend to run off, hide in shame, I'll keep it at arm's length, Christmas is coming, when Christmas comes, I'll go back to church. Right? And then Easter, I'll go back to church. We tend to think that God's distant and far off. He's unaware. He's mad. But y'all want to tell you, and if you keep this visual in mind, God is not mad at you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to know you. The birth of Jesus, the incarnation, is a message. I stop short of nothing to get to know you. I want a relationship with you. When John 1 tells us that in Jesus we have seen the Father, we have seen the glory of God, what that means is if you want to know what God's like, which by the way, I don't know many people that would go, I don't really want to know what God's like, I'm good, right? In fact, if you're at church today or you're listening online, you probably would say, 
it would help me to know more about what God's like or what he thinks or who he is. You know, God is not some mysterious being. Open up your Bible, start in the book of John, and read about the life of Jesus. You want to know who God is? Look at Jesus. Jesus is the glory of God. The way he loved, the way he served, the way he sacrificed, the way he gave his life away. You think about him smiling as he let kids sit on his lap and the religious leaders were like, or even the disciples were like, yo, they don't, they don't need to be on your lap. Like you got better things to do. And Jesus is like, no, like let, let them come to me. That's good. Everybody can come. You think about the religious leaders that were judging those who were sinful. Jesus is like, look, if you're without sin, cast the first stone. You can come. Jesus forgave people and he loved people and he served people and he got on his knees and he washed their feet. And this is the Jesus that we're talking about. That's God. And so his view of you is that same way. All through his ministry, when physical stuff or people interacted with this spiritual being, Jesus, their life was changed. That's where miracles happened. I think about John 11, when Lazarus, Jesus' friend, Lazarus was sick, and his sister sent for Jesus. Jesus, come. We need you to heal Lazarus. They, they knew that Jesus could fix the problem. Jesus delayed in coming, and Lazarus died. And when Jesus shows up, what happens? He looks at this physical problem, which was a physical death. And he walks in and he looks at Lazarus and he says, get up. And Lazarus rose from the dead because what was physical came in contact with what was spiritual and everything changed. See, the culmination of Jesus' life when he goes to the cross is we have this paradox, right? Where we go, God sent Jesus who was on a throne and now Jesus is hanging on the cross. There's this paradox between something incredibly spiritual facing the peak of physical when he dies. And we, we, as Christians, we can't ignore the fact that Jesus died. It would be irresponsible. In fact, we miss the whole point of the story. We miss the whole point of scripture. Christianity um, becomes nullified if we ignore the fact that Jesus died. When he is on the cross and he dies for your sins and for mine, what we see is that Jesus, no question in his humanity, had to face a very physical problem. And for three days after he died, y'all, hope was lost. The disciples scattered. The multitude that we see on the, the mount for the first sermon, that multitude dwindled down to about 100 followers. But then on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. The spiritual overcame the physical once again. That's the miracle of salvation. And, and maybe, maybe when you read scripture, the miracles that stand out are the, the big moments, the you know, feeding the 5,000 or the Red Sea being multiplied or someone being raised from the dead or a blind man seeing or the deaf being able to hear. Maybe, maybe those are the, the miracles that are captivating, but can I remind you the most miraculous thing that can happen for every single one of us is an understanding that in our physicality, every single one of us is gonna die. And the reason why is because of our sin nature. Like we were designed to live forever, but because of sin, we're all gonna experience death. But the miracle is this, when we acknowledge the spiritual being of Jesus in his resurrection, we too can be saved. We too can be resurrected. We too can have life eternal. That's the miracle of the incarnation. The question we all have to face, every single one of us, the question we have to deal with is what do we do with it? Do we believe in this Jesus or not? Because if we believe in a baby that came into a manger, but we deny the fact that he died on a cross, then we, we miss the whole point of salvation in the first place. In fact, the Bible says that uh, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins, but 
and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. What that means is you have to acknowledge the fact that I deserve death, but Jesus, Jesus died on my behalf. He paid the price for my sins. And when Jesus rose on the third day, the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you're saved. Saved from what? Right? You ever thought about that? What am I saved from? You're saved from eternal separation from God. See, the reality is today, and and when you think about Christmas, this is what I want to encourage you to think about. The incarnation of God is God saying, I loved you enough to come for you. And I sent Jesus for you. John 3 says this. John 3 tells us that God loved us first. He loved us first. So you being here today, God brought you here out of his love for you. He drew you to this place. The intersection of your life today with spiritual, right? This is what's happening. This is what happened. Let me, let me walk you through it. Physically, you're here. Physically, you're watching online. And your life is intersecting with the spiritual truth. And not just the spiritual truth, but a spiritual person named Jesus. You've got to make the decision of what you do with that. I can tell you that if you yield your life, surrender your life, trust your life to Jesus, that's where the miracle happens. Don't miss the miracle this Christmas. If you're here and you go, I need a relationship with God. I want to embrace the incarnation. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to pray with you right now. I'm going to ask everyone to close your eyes. In the room, online. If you're here today and you would say, I want to begin a relationship with God today. My life has has intersected. My physical life has intersected with the spiritual person of Jesus. And today I want to begin a relationship with God. Just pray this with me. Say, dear God, I know that I've sinned and I I know I've broken relationship with you. But I want to thank you for sending Jesus. I want to thank you for, for his death and for his resurrection. And today I trust in what he did on the cross, but I believe also that he rose from the dead. So God, today, would you just forgive me of my sins? Would you save me? being separated from you I want to start following Jesus today thank you thank you for sending Jesus in his name I pray amen